Book One, Chapter Twelve of the Sworn Brothers: A Tale of the Early Days of Iceland by Gunnar Gunnarsson, translation by Claude Field and W. M. A. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Ingolf and Leif went silently towards the tent. Ingolf was pleasantly fatigued and felt cheerful. He enjoyed the mental relaxation and dreamy sleepiness which follows when an inner excitement has found its natural relief. He went from the ceremony confirmed in his faith with strengthened will. He felt himself in covenant relation with his ferocious gods. With Leif the case was opposite. He had been sickened by the sight and smell of the blood of the sacrificed animals. All the rest, and especially Ingolf's behavior, had had a repelling effect upon him who did not believe in the gods, nay, who had a profound contempt for these ugly bedizened images of wood. Ingolf's thorough absorption in the ceremonies had made him sick at heart. Here was something he did not understand. How could Ingolf quietly watch helpless men being ill-treated and murdered in honor of the gods? How could he worship gods whom he believed he could appease by hanging serfs and criminals in their honor? Leif did not understand it. He felt himself suddenly alone, and an eager longing for Helga took possession of him. There was something about Ingolf which was beyond his comprehension. In relation to the gods there would always be something to divide them. Hitherto this had possessed such a slight significance for Leif that he had not given the matter a thought. Now it grew suddenly, assumed a shape, and was not to be got away with. Ingolf must certainly not be aware how great a difference there was between them in this respect. For if he did, how could he think of entering into brotherhood with him? Leif's emotion seethed and fermented. With every step his inward excitement rose higher. To speak out to Ingolf would never do. If once he began to speak, wild and uncontrolled words would stream from his tongue. And he had vowed to himself never to let his fiery temperament discharge itself in evil words over Ingolf. But on the other hand, the excitement in his mind gradually became uncontrollable and now they were so near the tents that only a few steps more would rob him of the opportunity of relieving himself he stopped perplexed without knowing what he should say or do ingolf he broke out suddenly as if in bewilderment his voice was hoarse and unrecognizable ingolf stopped surprised and turned towards him in an instant they were confronting each other ingolf with an astonished questioning expression in his eyes and face Leif quivering in every limb with an excitement which bid fair to derange his mind. He rushed at his cousin, flung his arms around him tightly, and hissed from between his clenched teeth, Look out! Ingolf did not understand what he was about, and had no time to consider. He needed all his presence of mind to keep on his legs, for Leif attacked him with all his might, and his strength seemed to increase with his exertions. Ingolf was not long in discovering that this was serious. He had to defend himself or fall. Leif hissed and groaned and bellowed like a maniac. Ingolf thought it was best to make an end of it, and passed gradually over to the offensive. But it took him time, and he needed to exert all his strength to overcome Leif. At last he succeeded. 
He took advantage of a slip on Leaf's part, slowly deprived him of his foothold. Then came the decisive moment. Leaf overbalanced and fell. Ingolf remained lying on the top of him. He had a good grip and held him fast. Leaf's face was purple and swollen, and he foamed at the mouth. His eyes were bloodshot and were so furious that Ingolf suddenly felt pity for him. "'Cousin, be reasonable now,' he begged persuasively. But to be overcome in such a purely physical way had been too much for Leif. He struggled hopelessly to get one arm loose, and when he did not succeed he hissed with suppressed rage, "'I could kill you!' Ingolf let him go at once and sprang up. But Leif did not do the same as he had expected. He had discharged his emotions now, and had given up. He remained lying with his eyes closed, while the shame scorched and burnt in his soul. Ingolf stood for a little while looking at him. He felt the wrath lurking in ambush within himself, and bravely fought with it. "'What have I done?' he asked at last quietly. Leif did not answer, but remained lying there, quiet and motionless, with closed eyes. Within himself he was silently and hopelessly wondering how he should set about opening his eyes and rising. Ingolf stood looking at him. He began gradually to understand him and to enter into his feelings. Leif had madly set himself against the gods. But what was the use of so attacking him, he would like to know? Well, Leif had his peculiarities in everything. Now he lay there and was ashamed, and could not bring himself to open his eyes. The best thing was to give him a little time to collect himself. Ingolf remained standing a while and waited. "'Come now, Leif,' he urged in a friendly tone, and Leif rose. Slowly he collected himself and got on his legs. Ingolf stood and looked at him with curiosity. His features were relaxed, and his eyes were dull and troubled. "'What was the matter with you?' asked Ingolf earnestly, and could not suppress a little laugh. Leif stood a short while without answering, as though searching his memory for something he had forgotten. "'You needn't trouble yourself about it,' he answered, in a weary and rather shy tone, but not without a certain defiance. "'It was not you I hated, but your gods.' "'So it was not very strange you could not win, cousin,' answered Ingolf cheerfully. "'You are still too slight of build to fight with the gods.' "'I shall not go with you to a feast any more,' answered Leif, unaffected by Ingolf's cheerfulness. "'This once I may be allowed to say it, and I beg you not to forget it. Your gods and your worship of them are an abomination to me, and will always be so. Even if it should lose me my brother, I must say it.' There was a smothered warmth in Leif's words which made Ingolf serious. "'It is just with you, as you are, that I wish to enter into brotherhood, Leif,' he answered quietly. "'Your relation to the gods is a matter between you and them. What you think of my worship of them is your own affair. But I am anxious that you should understand that I belong with all my soul and will to the gods. They were my father's gods. If I were false to them, I should be false to my father's.' Rather would I this very moment sacrifice myself to Odin than that should happen. But then it is a sacrifice on your part, answered Leif quietly. When you enter into brotherhood with me who despise the gods, and so have been false to my fathers. Ingolf was silent for a while. It is another matter with you than with me, he answered. 
I cannot explain it, but I feel that it is quite another matter with you. I should become weaker by not believing in the gods. You would become so by believing in them. We are so different, Leif, and I wish to be your brother as you are. I will do my best that you may never regret that, answered Leif quietly. They went to their tents. It was already nearly daylight. In the east the sky was faintly red. There was only a short time to the sunrise. Ingolf and Leif did not talk any more. They crept silently into their sleeping bags. But neither of them could close an eye. They remained lying quiet till nearly midday. When the sun was at its zenith that day, their brotherhood was to be sealed. Leif was the first who rose. When he had met Ingolf's open eyes, he said in a low, cheerful tone, "'Let us run to the stream.' Ingolf sprang up. "'Yes, we will.' They ran to a place outside the encampment, where they were in the shelter of a cliff, and where they had been accustomed to wash themselves when, as small boys, they visited their friends at Gollum. Ingolf dipped his head in the water, rubbed hard with both hands, and snorted cheerfully. But Leif flung away every stitch of clothing and lay down in the running water. When Ingolf saw it, he immediately followed his example, and so they lay side by side in the stream, and let the cold running water stream over their bodies as when they were little boys. Leif looked at the sun. We shall have to hurry. They sat for a little while, squeezed the water out of their hair, and let the sun and the wind dry their skins. But the water remained in drops on their skins and would not be dried. Then they took their shirts and rubbed each other, and then dressed in a trice. "'Let us go slowly back,' said Leif, when they had their clothes on. And Ingolf had to look closer at him, for such a proposal was very unlike him. Leif answered his questioning look. Otherwise we shall be so breathless, and we are getting too big now to run like children. When they came up from the little valley in which the stream ran, they saw that the people were already gathered, and hastened their steps. Leif looked up hastily at the sun. It is not yet quite midday, he said, relieved, but went on. They arrived at the place at the same time as Atli Jarl, who, as high priest, was to conduct the proceedings. Atli Jarl, generally a mild and amiable man, wore his severest expression that day. He had the sacrificial bracelet on his arm, and a spear in his hand. A serf followed him, bearing two turf cutters, and two bright sharp-pointed knives. The people had gathered round a circular space, marked out with wooden pegs. They readily made way for the two cousins and Atli Jarl. When they reached the place marked out, Atli Jarl curtly bade the two future brothers take off their shoes and stockings and step into the ring. While they were doing so, he himself stepped into the ring, and with his spear marked off a semicircle within it. Then Ingolf and Leif each received his turf cutter, with orders to begin, each on his own side of the semicircle, and cut a turf loose, taking care, however, that both its ends remained firm. The turf that was to be cut loose was to remain a living part of the ground. Ingolf was set to cut on the outside of the semicircle, Leif on the inside. They each dropped on one knee, stuck their turf cutters into the ground, and began to cut. Their task was to cut a solid piece of turf which would hold fast when it was raised. Ingolf cut with an even straight stroke. He was quiet and undisturbed by the people standing and looking at him. 
Leif, on the other hand, was nervous. He began cutting with all his might. His edge became bent and uneven, and sweat was pouring from him before he had got half through. When the spectators saw their different ways of working, they smiled and winked at each other. Orne and Rodmar stood just outside the ring. Orne did not look happy, but he concealed his displeasure under a mask of indifference. Rodmar stood and looked angrily at Leif. He could hardly restrain himself from shouting to him and correcting him. He saw, however, clearly that it would only make bad worse, and controlled himself. But he leaned towards Orne and whispered as though making an excuse. Ingolf will need all his quiet and strength before he can get Leif tamed. He cannot be tamed, answered Orne in a low tone, but with emphasis in his voice. A horse with the staggers cannot be broken in. It is a useless animal and brings ill luck. He is my son, answered Rodmar, who always found fault with Leif, but could not bear others doing so. You judge him too severely. He is your son and my kinsman, Orne whispered back somberly. Otherwise this ratification of brotherhood would not have taken place, at least as long as I had a breath left in my body. Ingolf and Leif had now cut loose the piece of turf and went together to lift it. They raised it carefully till it stood straight up and formed an arch. Then Atli Jarl stepped in and placed his spear in the middle of the arch to hold the turf up. He himself stood and supported the spear, while Ingolf and Leif cut loose an oblong turf under the arch. Their blood was not to run on the greensward, but was to mingle on the bare earth. When they had finished, they gave up their turf cutters, and at Atli Jarl's command stepped in under the turf arch, each on his own side of the spear shaft. Atli Jarl now dictated the oath, and they vowed mutual brotherhood, each with his right hand on the sacred bracelet. When the oath had been taken, serfs came with knives. Atli Jarl received the knives and handed them to the newly sworn brothers, with the command to confirm the brotherhood they had just inaugurated by letting their blood flow jointly on the sacred earth. Atli Jarl showed them briefly where they should pierce their calves with the knives. Ingolf and Leif both did so at the same moment. Ingolf thrust his knife-point well in and cut a deep gash. Leif put his knife right through so that the point projected a couple of inches on the other side of his calf. He had difficulty in drawing it out again. The blood ran down in red streams. The spectators felt a strange shuddering thrill at seeing how it oozed out from under the naked soles of their feet. Leif watched the course of his blood attentively as it approached Ingolf's on the brown scar of earth between them. As it seemed to him to go too slowly, he stooped down, directed the streams of blood with the point of his knife, and stirred the blood and earth round between him and Ingolf. A laugh then rang out in the air from hundreds of throats. Even Orne smiled, though against his will, and Atli Jarl's eyes assumed a milder expression. Leif looked hastily up and straightened himself with a jerk. He looked round, a little astonished, and his eyes rested on Ingolf. A very pleasant smile lay on Ingolf's face, and there was a moist glimmer in his eyes. Atle Jarl now proclaimed that Ingolf Arneson and Leif Rudmarsen had entered into legal brotherhood and named the witnesses. 
With that, the solemn ceremony was at an end. The grass turfs were carefully laid down again, in order that they might grow firm and be incorporated with the earth's life. Ingolf and Leif were now joined together by the strongest bonds that exist, the blood tie between brothers, the most sacred and inviolable of all blood and family ties. The earth by which they had been formed in different mothers' wombs had now drunk their blood mingled, and had at the same time given them new birth, since they had passed together under the turf arch, a part of earth's living frame. The earth knew now, and had recognized their covenant, a covenant no power could break. The sons of Atli were the first who approached to tender their good wishes on the occasion. Hostin pressed Ingolf's hand and whispered confidentially, "'You have in Leif made a brother, who at any time and without hesitation will give his blood for you to the last drop. Keep always a watchful eye on him, for his mind is as easily moved as a willow, but it has also the willow's toughness.' Holmstead handed over to Leif a broad-bladed, long-shafted battle-axe, with a handle inlaid with gold, a splendid weapon, which made Leif color with joy. "'Here is an axe for you, friend Leif,' he said cheerfully. "'Swing it bravely, but take care that you do not absent-mindedly come to cleave your friends' heads with it.' Leif was moved to tears. He kissed Holmstead for the axe. Leif and Holmstead's friendship lasted for whole days, to the great joy and relief of Ingolf and Hastin. They had never before been able to keep the peace for even a few hours at a time. Ingolf began to believe that the costly gifts which had been exchanged between Holmstead and Leif must have some special significance. He felt unusually cheerful in spirits that day. Leif also felt a peace and sense of security which was strange to him. It was as though the responsibility which he had assumed in entering into brotherhood evoked his manhood. He seemed to have suddenly grown adult. His mind had found an equilibrium which acted beneficially and was plainly traceable in his bearing. Evening came, and the second night of the sacrificial feast was about to commence. As people began to go to the temple, Leif said to Ingolf, "'I shall not go. I shall remain at home in the tent.' "'Very well, I won't go either,' said Ingolf, and tried to appear, as though it were a matter of indifference to him. But Leif would not hear of that. "'Those who know me will not be surprised that I remain away,' he said. "'It is another matter with you. If you won't go alone, you will oblige me to go with you, and I don't much like going there.' At last Ingolf went alone. When he entered the temple, the people were already assembled with great jubilation and much noise. On the floor there was burning a fire from one end of the temple to the other, outside the partition wall. This fire, named Langeldine, the Long Fires, could be crossed at various points, though only by going through the lambent flames. Over it hung great cauldrons, whence the fumes of the meat of the sacrifices filled the air with vapor and smoke tempting to hungry stomachs. Tables and benches were arranged on both sides of the fire. It was some time before each man had his horn. Then Atli Jarl rose, consecrated the drinking, and proposed the toast in honor of Odin. It was a toast for victory and might, and everyone had to empty his horn to the bottom. 
Some made the sign of the hammer over the horn of mead. They were those who trusted in their own power and might. They consecrated their drinking to Thor. Now other serfs entered, bearing great dishes. They fished the meat out of the cauldrons with hooks, filled the dishes, and bore them round. Then began a festive battle for the best morsels, with shouting and laughter which shook the temple. Women now entered, lifted the gods down from their platforms, took off their dresses, and began to rub them with the fat of the sacrificial animals. This was a very solemn ceremony. When the guests had appeased their first hunger, full horns stood again before them. Atliyar blessed the drinking, and they all emptied their horns in honor of Thor. Then they ate again, but now quietly and deliberately. The dishes were emptied and filled anew. There was no scarcity of food or of beer. They drank horns to Niord and to Frey for peace and fertility. They drank a horn to Braj, with which they pledged solemn vows. Last of all, Atli Jarl rose, always steady on his legs and firm in his voice. He had tasted mead before, blessed the drinking, and proposed a toast in memory of their deceased kinsmen. That toast used not to be very widely observed. By that time many lay under the table. Others had gone outside, and the rose of the feasters grew thinner. When Ingolf had gone to the temple, Leif's newly found mental equilibrium suddenly forsook him. He was overcome by a feeling of disquiet, strong and not to be shaken off a fit of impatience which rankled in his breast and made him perspire and feel unwell something must be done he knew not what until it suddenly became clear to him that he could not do without helga any longer he ran home to the house and got hold of a serf whom he sent with a message to ingolf then he took a bridle in his hands and a saddle over his shoulders and went off to find his horse there was a strange feverishness in all his proceedings, but he was cheerful and light of heart, as was always the case when he had overcome uncertainty and betaken himself to action. He found his horse, caught and saddled it, and went straight homewards at full gallop. He dared not think at all, for it was plain to him that it would be too long before he could see Helga, and the thought made his heart sick. A feeling of longing was on him, a longing of the strong kind, which grows in force if one gives way to it. His rapid riding gave him relief, and released him from thinking. He entered into a strange relation with the paths he rode by, and every stone and bush which he passed on the way. A pasture which he went by reminded him of the horse, and he dismounted, took off the saddle and bridle, and lay down. The horse rolled on its back a while, then rose and began grazing eagerly. This haste seemed to quiet Leif's longing, and he lay comfortably there. He allowed the horse to still its sharpest pangs of hunger, but soon his patience was over, exhausted and vanished. He saddled the horse again and went off at full gallop. Daylight came, and he was forced to stop and let the horse breathe and graze a little. This time Leif could not lie still while it was grazing. He sat a little, walked a little, and was restless. 
long before the proper time he saddled the horse again but before mounting this time he patted its neck and head scratched it behind the ear and spoke kindly to it if you hold out i will remember you as long as we both live so it carried him forward again over hill and dale over smooth grassy plains and stony tracks over clear streams and roaring rivers the horse's clattering hoofs awoke in the air alternately falling and rising echoes so the incredible was accomplished and the length of the way slowly overcome one morning at sunrise leif arrived home helga stood outside the house as though she had expected him and the world seemed new it is you leif said helga and did not conceal her gladness leif had already sprung from his horse he ran to her and flung his arms around her helga he said and kissed her i had to come home all at once helga laughed i dreamt of you last night she said and kissed him that was what i dreamt what asked leif that i kissed you and she kissed him again that was a happy day end of book 1 chapter 12